This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Seek Reality Radio with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about your reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here is Roberta. There is just one reality. Even so, we've long accepted the notion that both science and Christianity were somehow simultaneously right. We're coming now to realize that neither has it right, but each has a perspective that lets us get a bit closer to understanding the one reality that neither of them really seems to grasp. Both are belief systems. But when we get beyond belief systems and approach reality open-mindedly, studying all the evidence, we begin to see a reality that's more wonderful than our most optimistic imaginings. Our guest this week, back for a third visit, has spent his life fearlessly approaching the study of reality from a scientific perspective without the atheism that's now central to modern science. He's been skeptical but open-minded, and the result is an extraordinary body of eternal work. Dr. Gary Schwartz of the University of Arizona is my wonderful friend and my hero. As the author of The Afterlife Experiments, he proved scientifically that mediums can communicate with the dead. Easy peasy. Now he's working on a way for us to communicate with the dead directly by soul phone. He'll be headlining the ASCS 38th Annual Conference at Scottsdale in July. And the topic there, conveniently, is New Developments in Afterlife Communication. Welcome, Gary. Thank you. It's a thrill to be back with my, <laughs> with my all-time favorite host, uh, dialoguer, you know, <laughs> playful colleague. We, we, do have, we do have fun. I think fun is probably the most important part of everything that anybody does. So to have so much fun is, is just up our alley. But um, every time that I've had you on this show, I've, I've gotten people want to hear more. They want to know you more. Um, just, just in case there are people who haven't yet met you, could you just say briefly, Gary, what it is, you know, what brought you to this? You're a scientist. What is your background? Okay, well, uh, my professional background in education, just for a couple of minutes for people who don't know, is that I actually started out my undergraduate training as an electrical engineer, and then, <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not, and then transferred to arts and sciences, became a pre-medical student, majoring in psychology and minoring in chemistry and um, uh, sort of stumbled upon an emergency field uh, which is called psychophysiology, which is a relationship between mind and body. And this bridged all of my different interests, Yeah, you know, from physics and chemistry and biology through psychology and medicine and, and the like. And so that's where I started. That's where I focused. And I ended up completing a PhD at Harvard in psychophysiology with also clinical psychology and personality. And I was very involved with, the, for example, the, the, the biofeedback movement 
Um, and I was sort of there in the, its heyday and, and had the privilege to work with some of the leaders in the field and, and became, so to speak, a leader myself. Um, and then I was a professor at Yale, again, bridging those areas. I directed the Yale Psychophysiology Center and was co-director of the Yale Behavioral Medicine Clinic. And then a combination of learning uh, about quantum physics in particular and the nature of light, coupled with some personal experiences, propelled me into research that I'm now actively involved with, which includes um, energy and healing and energy and spirituality um, and, of course, life after death. And that journey has been a... Um, Extraordinary one, and it's gotten me in more and more trouble over the years. I'm sure it has. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! But but you've been basically you've been a traditional scientist in the best universities. Um, mm -hmm. Continue in that role. You're at the University of Arizona, um, mm -hmm. where you do your research and you get funded, mm -hmm. um, which to me all by itself is extraordinary. Almost nobody is in that position nowadays. Um, you, you start asking these questions and they throw you off the reservation. So I yes, give you so credit would, for that. <laughs> well, thank you. And I think if I didn't have tenure, they would probably throw me off the reservation too. Um, <laughs> right. And of course, living in the University of Arizona, there are reservations nearby. So, I, oh. so I'd be probably more welcome in some of those other reservations. I, you certainly this would. Work, this is work <laughs> supports a lot of Native, Native American and other Native um, traditions. Um, yes. But you know, it's curious I, because I, I was a mainstream scientist. In fact, I, you know, humility aside, I've published over 450 scientific papers and wow. chapters and so on, including six papers in the journal Science. But for the past, wow. I would say, close to 10 years, almost all of my publications have scientific publications, they've been in peer reviewed journals. But none of them are, quote, mainstream because the mainstream journals won't touch this. So I publish in journals like the Journal of Scientific Exploration, which is a peer-reviewed journal, or, or, the, or the, a journal called Explore, uh, edited by Larry Dossey, a, a journal of science and healing, or the Journal of Complementary and Alternative Therapies, um, or the, uh, the, the, some of the parapsychology journals. And the reason I publish in these journals is because they're the only journals that are open to this kind of research. Yeah, it is so, so sad. It reminds you of, uh, well, back in the uh, 1800s, 1700s, when people were still clinging to the humor's theory of illness, before, mm -hmm. even when people already knew about germs. Because the evidence is all around them. It's And some very eminent scientists have... Um, uh, it, Max Planck, um, a, a, many... Excellent physicists, as you know, a um, uh, hundred years ago knew exactly what they had found, and they they pointed the way toward the kind of research you're doing now. And they mm. their their words basically are dis disavowed. Their their discoveries are disavowed by the people who claim to be their inheritors. It's so astonishing how much really fear is. there is in the yep. on the part of mainstream scientists. And the fear, I think, is only going to get worse. By the way. Uh, this may be the first, uh, quote, public announcement of this, but I held a, um, I hosted a meeting which was co-funded by Canyon Ranch, which was called the International Summit for Post-Materialist Science, Spirituality, 
and society. It's post-materialist. Um, and it was by invitation only meeting, um, 11 members, uh, senior scientists, uh, were, were, um, had planned to attend, um, excuse me, three couldn't because of personal health issues and in one case a uh, visa. So there were eight primary scientists and they, my co-organizers were um, uh, Dr. Lisa Miller, who's a professor at Columbia University in clinical psychology, and Dr. Mario Beauregard, who who used to be at the University of Montreal and is now affiliated with my laboratory. And the three of us co-organized this group, and it included people like um, Dr. Larry Dowsey and Dr. Rupert Sheldrake and Dr. Charlie Tart. Um, wow. And others. And plus we had uh, some postdoctoral fellows and and graduate students, and th- these were just guests, and scientist colleagues, and um, some people from the business world, and some people from media, to explore the bridging of science and spirituality, which included, and all these scientists who were invited were scientists who were working on that bridge, and who literally s- 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 ex- were living the process of showing how their science informed their spiritual experiences and how their spiritual experiences were, was informing their science. So it was a two-way street. And these scientists were not, are not afraid to, to share that they're working in both areas. And yet, even among them, and they are the, the most bold in the scientific world today, a lot of fear was voiced yeah. about but for them and for the work um based on the uh if you would the the mainstream materialist backlash to this uh if you would post materialist science revolution right so um, it's, i'm not surprised at all when was this held it was held february 6th through 9th um and then there were two days of of filming um actually the people who filmed the movie what the bleep uh-huh. Who were doing a ten-year uh, anniversary uh, edition called "What the Bleep Now What"? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you would be right in the front of that one, of course. <laughs> well, it, it's funny because they actually independently um, interviewed both Mario and I a year ago uh, before we had this meeting, and it was it was at that time that Mario and I got the idea that maybe they should film this this summit sure. and then do post summit interviews, and so. So a subset of the, quote, summiteers um, were, were then interviewed for this new What the Bleep movie, plus they filmed post-summit interviews. And we'll be producing, actually, a, a summit documentary about what happened at this you know, historic meeting and some of the, the, the action plans for what we'll be, so what we'll be doing. Um, it, was, it was one of the most, um, I would have to say, inspiring um, and meaningful um, meetings, conferences, think tanks that I've had the privilege to participate in in now a 40-year academic career. Wow, wow. And well, what came out of it? I, a lot of thought about the fear that mainstream science still has. And as you, as you point out, um, the, more, the closer this comes to becoming common knowledge, which is how, of course, it's going to spread, um, right. the last people to accept reality are going to be the people who are supposed to be studying it, the mainstream scientists. But their fear is only going to get worse because it's like watching a train get closer and closer and you can't get off the track. What are you going to do? Oh, boy, um, that's a that's a good line. You know why? 
Why? By the way, this is being recorded. Is that correct? Yes. Oh, good, because I'm going to want to make sure that I hear this back. So I have to sidebar before I answer your question. Many years ago, I would say this is around the time that I actually published my first of three books on afterlife science, the, the one you called, the one you first described, the afterlife experiments. There was a colleague of mine, a very distinguished colleague, um, who said to me, he said, you know, Gary, he said, you're on a fast-moving train and you can't get off. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, you know, if the results didn't replicate or if they were wishy-washy, I would and could get off. Yeah. The problem is the results won't go away. And if, if, you, and if you work with the right mediums under the right conditions, the findings are extraordinarily replicable. And I said, consequently... I can't get off the train. And now it's reversed because now you're saying they can't get off the track. <laughs> that's that's, that's exactly, what's so funny. That's exactly <laughs> perfect, perfect. That's exactly right. I, I think all of us who in any way work in this field um, go at it with a lot of skepticism. Uh, mm-hmm. Everyone that I've met has shared with me that early in, in their research they had, they had doubts or they, it was basically a challenge to the, to the, to the truth to try to, you know, you know, show me what you got. Exactly. And, and, and looking for areas where things didn't jibe, but it jibes so perfectly. Whichever direction you take, wherever you start to do this research, you all end up at the same place. We complete each other's sentences. And that being the case, I think that it's impossible for the train that we're on not to be the right train. Um, they could get off the track. They could get on the train. But uh, well, that's what I'm. That's what I'm hoping is that some people get on the train, and that's one of the things that was inspired at the meeting. So, for example, one of the action plans is we, as a as a group, committed to created an organization which was named at the meeting called the Campaign for Open Science. Wow, I love it. I love it. Yes. And this campaign, this organization, is to foster openness in science, both in basic science and applied science, it's going to be co-facilitated or led by Rupert Sheldrake, um, who's, uh, uh, who's representing basic science, post-materialism in its sort of core framework, and parapsychology, and then myself in applied sciences, including health and healing and also um, spiritual science. And the goal is to foster openness. Um, and safety and, you know, science that makes it, makes it acceptable to raise these questions and follow the data in a, in a, in a responsible and safe fashion. And we're going to have a, a new website and we're going to be doing a, a declaration of openness, like the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> and <laughs> As a big Jefferson fan, I have to say that's a great choice of words. Great. I wouldn't and, call it that. Yes. The, um, um, and the, the the summit documentary will come out of that. And there's a Rupert's very excited about um, um, creating a new Wikipedia, which is accurate. Oh, that because, would be fabulous. Because, need because that. They, as you, as you as you may know, um, uh, people who work in this in this controversial area, such as such as Rupert or myself, for example, we get viciously attacked by they call guerrilla skeptics who are constantly attempting to engage in slander and twisting and so on on, with, on things like Wikipedia. 
and it's impossible given the structure of Wikipedia to have those uh, those the false statements or the misrepresentative statements uh, either challenged or taken down. So Rupert's proposed that the creation of what he's calling open science encyclopedia or open scienceopedia or something like that, right, right. Um, which would then again be fostered by the campaign for open science so that people could get an honest and truthful representation of, you know, of this, uh, you know, if you would, uh, you know, uh, more visionary or controversial work. We've had that uh, trouble. I just um, my, I do a blog post weekly, and I linked to something Michael Tim wrote about William Stainton Moses, who was the first great um, medium in the in the in the 1800s. And if you read his Wikipedia entry, it says there was a fraud. This was his name, and these were the fraudulent things he did, and he was absolutely nothing. Um, the people who know the truth and have done re- actual research, which apparently nobody had done who wanted to write that, have tried to correct that and not been allowed to, which tells me, and I would say it to anyone listening, you cannot trust Wikipedia on any subject that is not traditional, Exactly. uh, you know, uh, 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 mainstream speak. You can't trust them to investigate or to allow the truth to come through. You have to just say that they're propagandists. So I wouldn't trust them for much at this point. Uh, Birth and death dates, that's about it. Yes. In fact, uh, I'm not even sure about that anymore. Um, (laughs) uh, There was a book that was recently published called Psy Wars by Craig Wheeler or something like that. Um, It was published in the past year, and it's about Wikipedia and and the... um, internet and the TED controversy involving Rupert Sheldrake and all of the, the um, I mean, just irresponsible and, uh, you know, it's reprehensible uh, tactics that these individuals are now taking. And but, it's, but it's very, it's very sad. Gary, it's desperation. It's, it, it is, it, my heart goes out to them. It really does. I mean, I'm, I'm so sorry that these people feel so threatened. That they can't embrace all of the love and hope and caring and compassion that is actually coming forth from this work. Not only is it scientifically valid, but it's very loving. <laughs> it's very loving. But the reality is that for for many of them to even allow the possibility uh, of, of ex- investigating these areas means their whole life's work goes down the tube and maybe they don't get a paycheck. And that seems to be at the bottom to me about the bottom of a lot of this um we're, we're going to need to take a quick break and when we come back we'll be talking about what dr schwartz is working on now you're listening to seek reality with roberta grimes on the contact talk radio network our guest is the wonderful dr gary schwartz he'll be keynoting the 38th annual conference of the academy of spiritual and consciousness studies july 10th to 13th 2014 in scottsdale its topic is new developments in afterlife communication and dr schwartz is as always on the cutting edge check out ascsi.org that's ascsi.org for more information we'll be right back what if there were a place that was the opposite of civilized And what if it turned out that was the place where human life finally worked? When Roberta Grimes studied the afterlife evidence, she learned more than that our lives are eternal. She also discovered what we really are. 
And to help us make the most of our lives, she's begun the Letters from Love series of novels. Begin with My Thomas, her well-reviewed account of Thomas Jefferson's marriage. Move on to Letter from Freedom, then Letter from Money. They read like fantasy romance, but they are the glorious truth. Available on Amazon.com and in bookstores everywhere. Or stop by robertagrimes.com to learn more. If you're interested in communicating with the people we used to think were dead, then don't miss the 39th Annual Conference of the Academy for Spiritual and Consciousness Studies in Scottsdale, Arizona, next July. The theme of the conference is New Developments in Afterlife Communication. Presenters from as far away as Brazil will be talking about not just mediumship, but also automatic writing and pendulum communication and the astonishing new field of self-induced direct communication with dead loved ones. Two different presenters are working on telephones that will let us communicate with the dead directly. Go to ASCSI.org now for more information. That's ASCSI.org. Join them next July and be amazed. Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. We're talking with Dr. Gary Schwartz, who is working on in an area which is tremendously important um, and tremendously difficult. Uh, and, and it's one which uh, some of the most eminent uh, people in history have kind of wondered about. Um, um, uh, what is not Albert Einstein? Well, who who invented electricity? Or uh, um, <laughs> who invented electricity? I don't know if anybody called it invented electricity. No, no, but, wait, but wait, Thomas wait, Edison. Edison. Thomas that's what I keep to say. Einstein, and I mean Edison. Thank you, thank you. It's just old, old But I don't think he invented electricity. No, but what he did no, do he, was he invented he the was, light bulb. He was clever with how he used it. But, <laughs> he was but, clever with electricity. But he actually uh, wanted to to invent a, a cell phone, a, a way yes. to communicate between. Levels, and um, my hunch is is trying to work with you. But I, I know you can't tell us what you're what you're doing right now. But can you give us some sense of what you're doing right now to sure. help us get closer to this this wonderful event? Absolutely, I can I can share two things. I can share number one research that um, matter of fact, what I'd love to do is actually share with you uh, research that's going to be presented um, in April at the at the Tucson Consciousness Conference, which is an international conference on consciousness studies that's held every two years in Tucson. And that and that'll bring you it, illustrate some of the sort of latest research that I can be public about and then also share some other ad- observations that, that have again been public so that people can get a flavor for this. And I'll try I'll you know I I I'll try to keep sharing more and more as a as the work unfolds. So I'll give you a couple examples. Okay. Um, we've been doing research. Um, I think we even spoke a little about this um, in, in one of our earlier um, dialogues um, as radio shows where um, we've been measuring the nature of light and using these super sensitive laboratory pieces of equipment 
to detect single photons of light in a pitch black environment. And one of these devices, the one that I used in my laboratory, um, one of them is called a silicon photomultiplier uh, uh, system. Um, and it's a type of detector that detects single photons of light in a pitch black environment and uses solid state equipment. And we found that when specific, um, quote, spirits, or sometimes we refer to them as departed hypothesized co-investigators. Uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you know, we're invited. We to have to be very scientific in our terminology, don't Absolutely. We? <laughs> You're going to be very cautious here. You know. um, so, and by the way, one of those, in the paper that I published on this work, where they would be invited to go into a chamber um, and and see if they could pick up their light or if they could influence the detector. And then we would have an equal number of baseline control trials so that we could get very accurate assessment of what, quote, the background noise was. Um, one of these beings, um, one of these um, um, hypothesized co-investigators, in the article was called Harry. The reason why I gave him a name at all as opposed to an initial is because the 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 <laughs> the reviewers couldn't keep track of, you know, spirit agent, oh. spirit essence. Spirit, yeah, you know, right. You know, so, um, so we we called him Harry, but but what I didn't write in that article, but I did confess, um, I think I confessed this in the Sacred Promise book, is that Harry actually stood for Harry Houdini, and really? um, <laughs> yes, and um, I've actually it's a long complicated story. We even did some research readings where Harry Houdini came through, and we actually published one of those first evidential uh, blinded readings um, in a journal that's open to this stuff. It's called the Journal of Paranormal and and religious science. I can't remember what the latest title of the journal is. But anyway, um, but we don't refer to when I when I write his initials or when I talk about him, I refer to him as H H H. And you know what that stands for? Hypothesized Harry Houdini. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but it's been, so, it's been evidential though. You you you're pretty confident that's who he is. I'm I am as convinced that it's Harry Houdini as it is that. A medium could be t- talking to your grandmother or talking to uh, your your okay, deceased great. child. That is the <laughs> criteria that you use for identifying a being, you know, yeah. a post-material being, uh-huh. a physical being. It's the same criteria that we use to identify anyone. Um, he can. You, you, you know, you, they throw that up at us. Well, of course, Harry Houdini couldn't do it. If he couldn't do it, well, you're saying, right. of course, he did do it. Of course, it was really amusing is that actually it's less controversial to step, work with mediums and have them bring through your, your deceased father or grandmother or your deceased child than it is to bring through somebody like Harry Houdini or Albert Einstein. Because as soon as you bring through a celebrity, then that crosses over people's boggle factor. Yeah, right, it does. But, but the truth is it doesn't matter. You know, whether you're right. an unknown father or the world's fa- most famous scientist, you were in physical form, now you're in post-physical form, and the truth is, Einstein has more, and Houdini have more interested interest in caring about the planet and correcting mistakes and being of service than the average person who was mostly concerned with their family and wasn't right. in a role where they would take a, a broader, uh, you know, uh, uh, effect on um, society. So anyway, I did this research, and then I had the opportunity um, to attempt to replicate this research. Um, using a more conventional photomultiplier system called a photomultiplier tube. And I was able to um, spend a day um, at a 
laboratory, which, by the way, included a, a large uh, electromagnetically shielded chamber called a Faraday cage yes. at the California Institute for Human Sciences. Um, and they had a, uh, a state-of-the-art photomultiplier tube system um, and appropriate computers and hardware. Uh, and, and there was a, uh, a f- an engineering physicist by the name of Dr. Gaetan Chevalier who actually would run this equipment. So it was completely, you know, I was not involved with the actual data collection or whatever per se. And we then uh, spent time in his laboratory and we invited a series of, uh, of spirits, um, um, including Harry Houdini and um, Susie Smith and, uh, and someone called Sophia. We'll get to this in a moment. Um, and someone called Gabriel, we invited these beings to go into this pitch black room, shielded room, and stand near the, the detector, because we originally had the door open to quote, show them where it was. And then they would go in, and we would have the, um, I, can't, I think it was a two-minute trial, I don't have the data in front of me, <clears throat> and then we would have appropriate baseline controls. Okay, Now, the... Um, one thing I should share with, with, with everyone before I give the findings is that one of the things that we discovered is that some spirits seem to be better at this than others, i.e., they, they seem to generate more light, effects on light and manipulate the technology. And in the, in the research that I published, um, um, Harry was, was very good at this, and a person by the name of Sophia was extraordinarily good at this. And we'll get back to her in a bit. Um, and so in two separate sets of experiments, two separate publications, Sophia was like a superstar in terms wow. of producing very large magnitude results. Wow. And so one of my reasons for wanting to do this research using their laboratory was to see whether or not um, these individual differences would again persist. In other words, was there stability yeah. of individual differences in terms of magnitude of light? let alone eventually, you know, signatures that would then individual, you know, describe people, enables to differentiate people in terms of their energy patterns, which is a long-term prediction, okay? So anyway, we did this research, and here's the bottom line, and this is what's going to be presented in, it was accepted for presentation um, in April. Number one, on the average, uh, the, uh, the way you analyze the data uh, is that, you, what you look for are spontaneous bursts in the background photon counts, because there's always photons being, quote, picked up. Part of this is due to the noise of the equipment itself. But every now and again, there'll be a burst. And um, in, in with this particular technology, the units, I think, were at 15 photon counts per second, or 50 or whatever it was per second. Again, the, the details are not important. But right. you can clear it, see, see it clear as day. You can count it by eye as opposed to having to average all of the values. You, so you simply count the number of bursts above this criterion value of 50, okay? And using that relatively simple measure, using a very complex uh, hardware and software equipment, sure enough, on the average, there was a, I think it was like a double to triple increase in the number of these photon bursts when spirit was invited into the chamber versus the controls. However, that's not why I was interested in doing the work. As, I mean, I was, but what I was really interested in doing was to seeing whether or not there were individual differences in the magnitude of those bursts. 
And could, it turned out. Could you recognize out, the spirit that yes, was there? Yes. Uh, and particularly in terms of large amplitudes. And it turned out that, and again, I don't have it in front of me because I wasn't thinking that we'd be discussing this per That's se. Okay. It, no, it'll all be just, available. For it's people. all conceptual. This is great. Yeah. Anyway, the critical thing was the average value, let's say, is like between 50 and 100 for these bursts. Well, during the period of the trial, the two-minute trial, let's say two minutes, I don't remember exactly what it was, but the length of the trial that the Sophia was in the chamber, there was a burst that was over 1,000. Wow. 1,000. Wow. Now, again, it may only have been 900 or maybe 11. Yeah, right. Wow. It was 10 times or more. that they. It was so big that in the two or three years that – Dr. Chevalier had been using this equipment. He had never seen such a big burst before. Never. Wow. It was clearly an anomaly. Yeah. And Gabriel had one burst, I think, that was like 600 or something like that. Again, some burst that was far above any other of the bursts yeah. with any of the other spirits. Okay. Now, I will not make this overt at the meeting. Because these people will not be prepared to be able to handle this. Okay, we, but I will confess it. I will confess it. <laughs> your group, partly because you'll be more, your group is probably a little bit more open to this. Uh-huh. And secondly, because the last quarter of my book, The Sacred Promise, described original research with Sophia, and I confessed to her identity. Okay. So, are you sitting down? I hope yes, some I of your audience is sitting down too. I'm sitting down. <laughs> <laughs> the last quarter of the book, I think you actually read the book, if I remember correctly. Yes, um, I did. I address what I call the angel hypothesis. Uh-huh. And, um, the, and I was, by the way, raised to believe that angels are like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. Yes. We all know that that's complete superstition. It's totally imaginary. It can't possibly be true. That's how I was raised. Yes. And to me, my reaction toward angels was, if anything, you know, it, it's hard to swallow. Let's just put it that way. It, it, it didn't, not so much that it put a bad taste in my mouth, but I wouldn't want to put it in my mouth and I certainly wouldn't swallow it. So for me to start, um, entertaining the angel hypothesis as part of the one reality, the greater reality, and that science could be done on this was probably the most challenging thing that I've ever been involved with and have ever confessed. And for the record, because I felt a, an ethical, moral and ethical responsibility to share these sacred research in the Sacred Brahmas book, uh, many of my colleagues in, quote, parapsychology decided that I was too risky. You know, <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> they put so, up hex signs when you walked into the room. Is that absolutely. You know, all of a sudden I became a, you know, piranha, whatever. The Isn't it sad? Oh, yeah, my goodness. It's really, Fear it's, is it's, such a powerful it, it, force. Yeah, it really is such a powerful force. And I sort of, and I don't, I, I understand their circumstances. They, they, get, they get hammered on so many sides just for suggesting that this communication between one mind or another, or that people can see the future in their dreams. They get, they get so hammered for that. They don't want to deal with the question of, uh, that, you know, are spirits real? And God right. forbid you now expand it to include the angel hypothesis. Yes. But anyway, one of the things that occurred in this work was that the data supported the idea 
that not only was a being like Sophia, which is turned out to be the name of, of an angel, um, not only um, did she produce larger effects, but the effects were so striking in terms of impacts on the organization of cosmic rays, which are these high-frequency um, particles that are constantly traveling through space. Um, and again, all of this is described in the book. And what I realized was it was consistent with the spiritual claim that angels are, of quote, not just a high frequency, but are among the highest frequency beings. Yes. And there's a relationship between frequency and energy. The higher the frequency, the more energy it has. More um, powerful. It's more powerful. Right. Um, and so I and so I said, here's a technical scientific term, oi vei. Which I have uttered as well quite often. Oi vei, you know. <laughs> I've inadvertently stumbled upon research uh, findings oh. which actually supports, you know, one of these, uh, quote, new age, you know, theories about oh. angels. Okay. So why is this important for the research that I'm about to present? Because we invited two angels to, of the eight spirits who were <laughs> invited to go into the chamber. Two of them were angels. Right. Gabriel, Gabriel hypothesized angels, okay? Yes. Which is, and a hypothesized angel is ha, you know, like ha ha, uh, you know, it's yeah. ha, okay? H-A. And um, one of them was Sophia, and the other one was Gabriel. Wow. So we're going to just take a quick break and sure. we'll come right back. This is Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. You are an eternal being. You never began, you never will end, and you are infinitely loved. Our guest today is Dr. Gary Schwartz, and we'll be right back. there were a place that was the opposite of civilized? And what if it turned out that was the place where human life finally worked? When Roberta Grimes studied the afterlife evidence, she learned more than that our lives are eternal. She also discovered what we really are. And to help us make the most of our lives, she's begun the Letters from Love series of novels. Begin with My Thomas, her well-reviewed account of Thomas Jefferson's marriage. Move on to Letter from Freedom, then Letter from Money. They read like fantasy romance, but they are the glorious truth. Available on Amazon.com and in bookstores everywhere, or stop by robertagrimes.com to learn more. If you're interested in communicating with the people we used to think were dead... Then don't miss the 39th Annual Conference of the Academy for Spiritual and Consciousness Studies in Scottsdale, Arizona, next July. The theme of the conference is New Developments in Afterlife Communication. Presenters from as far away as Brazil will be talking about not just mediumship, but also automatic writing and pendulum communication, and the astonishing new field of self-induced direct communication with dead loved ones. Two different presenters are working on telephones that will let us communicate with the dead directly. Go to ASCSI.org now for more information. 
That's A-S-C-S-I dot org. Join them next July and be amazed. Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. We're talking with the wonderful Dr. Gary Schwartz. So the punchline is we've got two angels of of the heavenly host, my goodness, who are giving <laughs> off extraordinary light under laboratory conditions. Uh, and that you're going to present this information. Well, I'm going to present the information, but I'm not going to mention the Gabriel and <laughs> Sophia are. I'm just going to say there are individual differences. They're replicated across experimental conditions. Okay. Well. This may be relevant for distinguishing among different you know, spiritual beings. Be very concerned. letting you present at all, though. Why what? are they allowing that? Why are, you, why, why are they inviting you to even present? This is a total... They, well, they didn't quite invite me. Here's what they do. In fact, they would just as soon be very happy if I didn't. Go um, away. <laughs> it, it, what they do is they have an open invitation for people to submit abstracts, which are then peer-reviewed. And they only accept a, sm- a small subset of those are actually allowed to be presented. The remaining are given as what are called posters. So most submitted papers are presented as, quote, posters. And then a subset of them are presented um, are allowed to be given as papers. And there's only one section of this entire meeting. There's, I don't know, this, I don't, I'll make up a number. At least 20 different uh, areas in consciousness studies where different people give different presentations. Only one of them deals with, quote, parapsychology. They'll only accept three or four papers. And the reason why they accepted this paper is because I just talked, you know, I, I, made, it, it, I made it sound as boring as possible. <laughs> I don't know how you could make that boring. I think that's extraordinary. Well, actually, I'm very good. I've learned how to disguise this in such obfuscate, a way. Obfuscate, yes. Big obfuscate, yes. Obfuscate, you know. At, at this I, I, I put it in scientese. What? Are they talking mainly about, gee, we found a spot in the brain that could conceivably be where consciousness comes from? Are they still at that Luddite oh, yeah. stage? I mean, it's mostly, you know, the origins of consciousness in the brain, brain correlates of consciousness. I mean, the uh, cognitive tried. processes involved with subliminal perception and so on. I mean, that's for the, the mainstream scientists. Now, the larger community of people who come to the meeting, oh, they're much more broadly uh, minded. But the people who are, quote, in power, um, they're really, quote, primarily materialistic. By the way, I, I, I'd like to announce that as a result of this meeting, the, the International Summit on Post-Materialist Science, Spirituality, and Society, I decided to rename my laboratory. Uh, yeah. Um, so it, uh, uh, its current title is, which has been for, I don't know, 10 years, whatever, the Laboratory for, the laboratory for Advances in Consciousness and Health. Okay. And then this spiritual stuff was sort of, <laughs> you know, in there. Uh-huh. But now the laboratory, which will be the next decade of my life and um, of my professional life, um, is going to be called the Laboratory for Advances in Post-Materialist Science and Spirituality. I love that. So, na- so instead of survival of consciousness, for example, being treated as a subsidiary, you know, and a 
uh, you know, a, the, the dark sister, so to speak, of the laboratory. Um, it's now going to be front and center as part of the kind of evidence that leads us to a post-materialist approach to both science and society and to a, a greater spiritual understanding. And there's a possibility that other universities are going to follow suit ASAP so that this the languaging will start becoming more public. And, and uniform, I think that, and getting past the whole para stuff or, yep. or I, 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 the whole sense that there's something tainted about researching mm-hmm. this basic reality, this basic fact that consciousness yep. is, I mean, a hundred plus years ago, we had the greatest quantum physicists, including Einstein, saying consciousness is primary. They said it back then. And for, yep. for it now to be only now, and thank you so much for being a leader in this field, of, of people getting past the notion that somehow uh, it's it's lesser to be studying this. This is primary. This is the this is the core science. Yep. Well, you know, you know, Newton said that that he sat on the so- shoulders of giants, and from that vision was able to go beyond. Um, well, someone like myself has been sitting on the shoulders of the shoulders of the shoulders of yes. the shoulders of giants, oh, and yes. it's a continued, you know, process. And I consider it a privilege to be to be part, you know, to be part of the process. I mean, people like yourself are serving an equally um, critical role because it's it's. I mean, you represent the essence of the scientific approach because you're you're a truth seeker. And you're looking for evidence, and you're taking the the responsible evidence seriously. And you're also because you're such a you're so good with words and so on, and so playful. And <laughs> you help invite people into the dialogue and to become yes, part of the I, process. I, and that, that's my role. We all have our roles, don't we? This is a this mm-hmm. is a great great effort. This effort to enlighten the world, and we all have our roles. Mine is littler than yours, but I enjoy it tremendously. I would say just different. <laughs> Yeah, maybe different. But what I love about what you're doing is that you're uh, behind the barricades and fearless about being there. Um, you're, well, I wouldn't you're... say quite fearless. I would say that I'm. People say I'm brave. People say yeah. I'm courageous. But I am aware of the fact that I'm wearing a sign on both sides that says "Kick me, kick I mean, me." <laughs> You know, <laughs> not just on my back, but on my front. And I have yes. to be prepared for that. I have to be able to stand up for it. I have to be strong enough to endure it. Um, and it's very helpful to be, to therefore, to be, you know, to have other, that's part of the reason for creating this cooperative, the family of post-material scientists who are going to stand up for spirituality, because together we're much stronger than, as you know, as individuals. And oh, that yes. and and this community. Oh, by the way, there is a website called Eternia dot org, e t e r n e a dot org, and you mentioned about us being eternal, eternal beings. Um, Eternia dot org was originally inspired in part by um, Eben Alexander, the person who wrote the book Proof of Heaven, um, and he was its first chairperson, and then. Um, uh, Raymond Moody uh, took over as chairperson, um, uh-huh. and now I'm. Uh, there's a possibility that I may uh, 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 somehow either assist Raymond or end up taking over the chairmanship. That yet to be decided. But the critical thing is, this is a way for the public to get involved with research, 
that bridges direct personal experience with um, with uh, with scientific analysis. And so, any of your listeners who might be interested in this kind of work, they uh, I encourage them to take a look at it. That's great. E t e r n e a dot org. I'll go yep. there right after this taping. Um, I I think it's. I think the, the fact that you've got people coming together now who have been doing this research separately, um, and may, in some cases sort of in scientific sort of environments, whether mm-hmm. it's strictly inside a university or it's simply uh, under uh, comparable conditions, and right. all coming together, that was a wonderful thing you did to have that kind of a summit. So that Well, you, you know, it's interesting. This summit was actually a follow-up to a summit that was held at Columbia University by Lisa Miller. Um, and that's where I first heard, heard the term post-materialist science. It was, this was in 2009. And she brought together a group of senior scientists, 10 or 11 of us, around a table to discuss post-materialist science. And what I observed at that meeting was that there were some of us, some, some of the members were very frightened of, of bridging the, the science side to the spiritual side. So they were content with parapsychology and and, and things like that, but they did not want the field to go into the spiritual side. And then there were others of us, including Lisa and myself and Larry Dossie, um, as three examples, where we felt that this was a natural progression. In fact, it was required, and it yes. was part of the inspiration. And it was not safe for us, even at that meeting, to make this a focus. So that and then sp- inspired me to say, I think we need a follow-up meeting, one that focused on science and spirituality. And just yeah. for the record, just in case any, any, uh, any scientists have listened to this, when I approach any of this, it's always from the point of view of questioning. It's always hypothesis. The thing that I really appreciate about Eternium is that Eternium, which I did not found, I had nothing to do with its birthing, um, but Eternium puts forth seven postulates not assumptions, not principles, not dogma, but postulates about the greater spiritual reality which they feel have the support of contemporary science. So it's an evidence-based spirituality. Um, and that's the approach that I take. Yes. So, you know, if somebody asks me, are you sure that it's really an angel <laughs> Sophia or an angel Gabriel? I have to say, of course not. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, but the evidence is very is, strong. Oh, yeah, but what I can tell you is the evidence is certainly pointing in that direction. <laughs> yes, and, yes. And, and, and in order for me to have integrity as a scientist, I have to make sure that that hypothesis is on the table. Yes. That's, that's an excellent point, and I think I'd like to emphasize it. You, you are not open-mindedly acting and functioning as a scientist if you consider certain areas of inquiry that are directly related to be taboo. That's right. Nothing can be taboo. And what you're saying is, I'll follow, uh, wherever the evidence goes, I'll follow it. And that's so, that's what's courageous about you, the fact that you're willing to do that. And that's what makes you so, so wonderful. I'm so delighted to have you as a friend, I must say. I am so sorry that we're coming to the end of our time. Um, we're certainly going to do this again. We have so much fun. You and I. Um, our guest has been the wonderful Dr. Gary Schwartz. Uh, he's 
the core, I think, and is going to more and more be the core of this new effort from mainstream science to investigate what used to be called paranormal, but is actually part of normal. It's just never been recognized before by scientists. And this is a wonderful time to be alive because you're going to get to watch fireworks over the next 10 to 15 years. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I, I got my popcorn ready. I can't wait to watch. Um, Dr. Schwartz's books include The Afterlife Experiments. It's my favorite. And also The God Code, G-O-D Code, and several others. He's, he's on Amazon. Just look up Dr. Gary Schwartz. Everything I've ever read from him has been brilliant. Uh, now he's working, of course, on what will be the Holy Grail, which is a way for all of us to just phone up our dead loved ones. It will be very hard for the Luddites to get in our way once we can ask Einstein directly what the heck he thinks. Um, please join us next week when our guest will be Dr. R. Craig Hogan. He's going to give us his wonderful, and it's, this is, we've taped it, it's a terrific program, his wonderful understanding of what consciousness is and how it actually creates reality. Please join us for that one. Now go out and enjoy and make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are an eternal being and you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about your eternal life. To learn more, tune in every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. For lively and positive discussions, visit www.afterlifeforums.com To contact Roberta, email her at roberta at seekreality.com Wishing you a productive week empowered by the truth of who you really are. <laughs>